turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth, trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be all right. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to the throne. Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 443. I can't find my earbuds. My name is Caleb Hag. Yeah, I can't find them either. I'm <laughs> rubbing off. Man, my sound is so off right now. These things, they're like, it's, I can't, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm all discombobulated, man. You look like legit, man. Oh, well, thanks. You man. look like the I dudes look like on I that be... podcast we're responding to. I, I, I should be DJing, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's going to be a, if I can't find them today, that's going to be an immediate purchase because I, uh, man, I'm used to my earbuds and uh, I really like them. And now I'm, I'm feeling out of my element. That's okay. Out of my element with my earbuds, but uh, in my element theologically. We got a good show today. I can feel it. Sometimes I feel it's not going to be a good show, or sometimes I feel it's kind of up in the air. Today, feeling good, feeling a-okay. It's going to be good when I changed some of my, oh, wrong hand. I changed some of my lights. You can't see it really. Some yeah, of my it's lights got a, in the like background. a purplish, pinkish yes. thing going on. See, maybe I should change it all for next week too. All right, we'll see. That's nice. Got my, uh, got signed up for uh, a tournament. I'm going to go crush. Got to lose some weight now gonna do it man you're gonna do it how you been what's life like with well. you all right i'm excited we're we're going strong into fall quarter oh yeah sorry language classes i'm loving good it's, uh yeah speaking of language we're gonna be talking about some uh, language today uh, our greek teacher rob van hoff is going to uh, be expounding for us on a uh on a voicemail that came in should we just jump right in let's do that in just a few seconds first see heg at torresource.com c-h-e-g-g at torresource.com that's how you can email us we read every single email that comes in believe it or not and you can also shoot us a voice message 
253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. We do listen to every single one of those as well, and uh, we try to get to as many as we can, um, but please keep sending them in because some of them... Here's the thing is that some some things that people uh, request or talk about in the voicemails, they're, it's good, and we're always excited to, to hear from people, but sometimes it's not like super conducive for the format of this show, and so that doesn't mean that, that we didn't like you or anything. It just means that, you know, it is what it is, as my friend used to say. Okay. Also, uh, messiahmatters.com, you can find old shows. You can also find um, all sorts of... Uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff, merch and everything for this show. This show, Messiah Matters, is produced by TorahResource.com. Go to Torah Resource for all sorts of wonderful things, including, and this is just up on the homepage now. I've gotten numerous emails asking where to find this. It's on the homepage, second uh, second block down. You can find the new reading schedules for the coming year. The three-year Torah reading portion as well as the one-year Torah reading portion, they are both up, they're formatted. And if you're on the Torah Resource mailing list, we have a special treat in store for you. Uh, we just uh, we just uh, ordered some bookmarks with the uh, three-year reading cycle on it, uh, and we will be sending them out to our mailing list. All right. Last, but certainly not least, in fact, perhaps most important, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. I know it sounds weird, but it really does help us. Uh, if you're already subscribed, do us a favor and click the like button on this video. Let's jump right in. We got a voicemail from a uh, young lady named Brittany. I have not clipped this at all. Now, she gets clipped off at the end, and then she actually called back and left a second message. I chose the first message because I think there are some um, pertinent things in here that are important um, for everyone here. And uh, so it will cut off at the end. It's a little bit longer than we would normally play on the show, but I think, I think, it, I think we need to listen to most of it at least. Minute and 50 seconds. Here we go. Let's take a listen. Hi, my name's Brittany. I really enjoy your show, um, and I have a question to ask. So I'm reading through Romans, and Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So What's interesting about that is that, you know, Teflon and all these extra rules wouldn't wouldn't come naturally to the Gentile. Let's pause for just one second. I want to just, now she says extra laws. Now she references to feeling here and she says extra laws. Now, okay, fair enough. If you're talking about the, the rabbinic additions, um, you know, Maybe we would say that uh, wearing tefillin is is a uh, uh, an like adding on to it, right? Maybe we would say instead that uh, the law is to have it in your mind, right, and uh, in everything that you do. Okay, so fair enough. But she says this term again, I believe, if I remember correctly, she's going to say this term again, which is extra laws, but she doesn't say them in terms of rabbinical things. She she. She moves it. Now, this is not a dig on Britney, by the way. And, and, and what I'm hearing here, and you'll hear this at the end of the video, at the end of the audio clip, is that Britney and her family are struggling with the idea of Torah observance. And so we're this is one of the things that we're going to talk about. This is lead into our next, uh, our next segment as well, really well, because we're going to talk about the second video from uh, Relatable with Stucky and the guys from Col Coltish. Anyway, not the point. Let's keep going. I just wanted to point out that one word because I think it's going to come back around here. And the Bible's not saying, hey, catch up and do all these things. It's saying that there's such a thing as following by nature the things that are in the law, which kind of brings me to the idea of, you know, the Bible says that when you love God and love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the law. So I'm having a hard time seeing where we have to add on some of these Old Testament rules when it... Okay, hang on. There we are. There, That's it, that we have to add on some of these Old Testament rules. Here's the thing, is that when we look at the covenant, right, when we look at the covenant, these are part of the covenant. So, Brittany, what I would say to you here is we're not adding anything on. What the Christian church is doing is they are taking things off. The covenant as a whole includes things like the festivals, like the Sabbath, like the kosher laws. These are part of the covenantal uh, rights that we have. And I say rights because it's not, I don't want to look at them as 
these burdens and obligations that I have to do. That's not what it is. God has loved his people so much that he has given them a law. The surrounding nations will look at Israel and say, how great is this people that God has given them this law that is with such great, you know, I'm paraphrasing, with such great rules and, you know, such great mishpatim, right? But what I see the Christian church doing today is saying, no, that's not right. They aren't great laws. In fact, we're going to cut some of them off to try to make the Torah great. This is not what David says. David says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Oh, how I love your law. He doesn't say, oh, how I love your law, but I got to take a bunch away to make it great. The thing about the law of God is, is that it's perfect. We don't have to manipulate it and take things away from it to make it any better. Rob? Yeah, that's that's a, a really good point. Uh, I thank you, Brittany, for the great voicemail. And um, we got we got uh, we got forty five seconds left. Do you want to finish it out, or do you want to? Yeah, let's let's hear let's okay, hear. Let's, let's yeah, listen. Let's, I, yeah, I don't want to cut Brittany off here because actually, Brittany and her family are struggling with something that I think a lot of our listeners are struggling with. But and so I don't want to diminish this, and I don't want to put anybody down. These the, I think these are are a lot of the the things that come to mind when people are, are wrestling with these things. And I'll, just one more thing before we start this back up. I know I've talked a lot, but that's what I do. Um, one, I have a friend who has been in, if we could say, in the Torah movement for a good 25 years. And he's still struggling with some of these things. So it's not necessarily that people are, just, you know, that don't get me wrong, there are people who come to Torah and they, they see it, they see the covenants and they're just 100%. Like, yes, I see this, I get it, God wants me to do this, I'm, I'm all in, not a problem. And then you have other people who, they're still wrestling. And so I don't want to bring anybody down here and diminish anybody, but this is, when we look at the covenants of God, we should not see his commands as anything, First John, isn't it First John where he says uh, that the commands are not burdensome? The law is not burdensome. So th the law of God is not burdensome. Eating a kosher diet is not burdensome. It is a joy and an honor to be considered one of God's people and to show that through the covenant obligations, the, the blessings that he's given us in the Torah. Okay, let's keep going. Seems like God kind of transfers that to... Like almost like there's a spiritual law that you follow without following the rules of the law, if that makes sense. I really enjoy your show. Um, our family is starting to observe like Passover and Rosh Hashanah and all of those things. Um, not because we think it's required necessarily, but just because I think it helps with Bible literacy and understanding things. So we enjoy your show. I'm just not at the point where I can 100% jump on board with, hey, you know, you guys got to follow like all these extra rules. I'm just not seeing that in the New Testament. Okay. Um, once, once again, extra rules. These are not extra rules. These are the laws of Torah. So the I church... think maybe, maybe she, by, and again, I'm, I can only guess, but maybe by what she means by extra rules is she grew up and came to faith with a, with a kind of defined religion, like a, a figure, like a, a holistic worldview about what is the script, how to read the Bible, what it means to love Jesus, sure, and what it means to live a, a faithful Christian life, and the what she's hearing from us and other people might be like, wait a minute, am I being decentered from that by adding stuff that wasn't what I grew up with? So maybe it might be just that simple. It's not. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. However, here's here's how I see this. Here's how I see this. Christianity has given us a the, the central aspects of our faith, and e even to the guys at like cultish and whatnot. You know, I think that there is this element. They're they're equating very they're equating several different um, movements into one, and therefore they are ostracizing a bunch of people like you and me, right? We I I say often I consider myself a Baptist. I hold to a lot of the 1689 Baptist Confession, right? They, I mean, there's there's core issues, okay? And common so ground. Common, like ground, common and, ground. And what Christianity has maintained is, is the gospel message. And this is the treasure, right? This is the treasure. However, God has given his people gifts. So it's like you find, it's like you find the big diamond 
which is the gospel. And, and you're like, this is great. And then you're in a room full of treasure and you say, I don't want any of that. That's extra. Why would I want that? That's extra. It's, that's too, that's too much, but it's a gift from God. That's the point is that I think that the mentality of the mentality that we have been, um, that we have been instilled with from the Christian church is that the laws of God are burdensome. They're bad. We don't want those. That's not how the Bible talks about God's commands. The, and, and, and actually Judaism has, has, uh, now, once again, I think anybody who listens to this show knows our stance on modern day rabbinic Judaism. But, but one of the things that rabbinic Judaism does say is that the reason that we know God loves us is because he's given us rules. He's given us more, like the more rules, the better, the more rules, the more he loves us. You know, look at the Gentiles. They only have, this is Judaism, not us, by the way, but look at the Gentiles. They only got seven laws. They can't even keep those. We got 613. Look at it. We're, we're, we're 600, you know, we're 600 commands better than them. Right? So I, I think that there needs to be a switch in, in uh, the mentality. I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to kick this over to you. Brittany, the last thing I'd say to you is the, the, the commands of Torah while they are a blessing, we, it, it's, you use the, the term required. And I would suggest that the, the commands of, of Torah are all required for covenant members. Now, that doesn't seem out of place when we talk about things like adultery, when we talk about things like lying, when we talk about things like um, I, murder. You know, obviously, you're going to not murder. Is that required of God? I would say it's required of God. We're saved by faith, but it is required in his covenant stipulations that we not do these things, right? Well, part of his covenant stipulations are the Sabbath and the festivals. So I don't understand why any one of his commands would be any less, quote unquote, required than the others. Okay, Rob. I'm reminded, I just pulled it up. I'm not on our chat room right now, but if Mike or someone uh, on our Torah resource articles... Uh, Tim Haig has an article called Is Obligation a Wrong Word? That might be a good resource for Brittany or others wondering about this. What what does it mean? You know, I came to faith. I, I love the Lord. And now all of a sudden you're talking about requirements. You're talking about obligations. That feels foreign to, to who I am, like who I feel like I am as a, as a Christian. And what you're pointing out um, with where it seems more obvious in the case of like adultery is like, wait a minute, if, if a covenant, if a marriage is a covenant, the question is, are there deal breakers? Are there rules that are implied for me that reflect what would be called faithfulness to my spouse? And if I, what are those, what are those requirements? Like, are there requirements? And then, but wait a minute. Oh, but I just love my spouse. You know, I just love my spouse. It's it's this, and she, Brittany kind of talked about some kind of spirit. There's like this spirituality space that kind of is right. kind of undefined and it. And, but what it, what it's not is it doesn't have to do with requirement. It doesn't have to do with obligation. And so one point is, is we have to understand, and this is maybe because of where we are historically, where really the, the church that like Andy Stanley says is who just unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, they have nowhere to go but to some kind of weird spirituality they're, right. they're, because it's a kind of a disembodied kind of sense uh, of morality. Um, and it's in the churches upholding this that the woke uh, influence has just infiltrated and has caught them off guard because, wait a minute, and like like we, we're going to talk about, I think, this week on our uh, mystery science or mystery Bible theater, we talk about that it is written. I was like, well, at what point does it is written leave our vocabulary as an important uh, place to draw a line in the sand? But anyway, I, I so again, just, is just, obligation just, a wrong word? I, I want to just so you uh, know, recommend uh, that. Go ahead. Uh, Mike has posted is obligation the wrong word Thanks. in the chat Thank room. You. So you can, uh, you can click on that and that'll take you directly to the, uh, but, but, and, and just a final note there is that Yeshua himself said the greatest commandment is love. So 
while it's foreign to this kind of effervescent sense of spirituality with loosey-goosey, it's very clear in the gospel that Jesus says the greatest commandment is love, is to love. So what feels to us like, well, today, if I say I love something, I have the sense that it's not compelled from the outside, that it's free of, it's of my own inner uh, uh, will or desire or vol- it's volunt- it's a vo- completely free voluntary voluntary act is would be characterized an act of of uncon- you know this unconditional love what we need to bring to our mind is that wait a minute it it's the greatest commandment and that all the commandments are hinge on it or hang from it or contingent upon this and that's so we have to be you know a believer needs to chew on that facts like what does it mean that love is a commandment if i commanded my wife you are commanded to love me that could sound wrong in today's english right the idea of i command you to love me doesn't make sense but it makes sense in a biblical worldview because of what caleb was talking about because covenant looks like something covenant is not a uh uh, oh, you just say, tell people you wear a wedding ring or something, but you're not really, you know, acting and, and fulfilling your role as uh, in your marriage. Um, so, okay. But I want to go back and look at the Greek of this passage that Brittany brings right to the front. And I think it's great. And, and uh, it's Romans 2, 14, I think 14 and 15. It is a place. And and I know this is easy to do. It's easy to say, oh, you know, they're just going to say the translation's bad. Well, the translation's bad. (laughs) Um, I don't remember exactly what, um, did she say by, by instinctively or by nature? Do you remember how? Yeah. She, yeah. I think she might've used both those terms, but yeah. Okay. So the idea is that it's this word phusis in Greek. And what it means is that they, by of ancestral of their ancestral uh genealogy they do not have the torah that's that's what it means and and yet they're doing it it means people who are not jewish that's all it means are doing the torah but what translations do because in my view it's because the lens of the interpreters are of the, they already know what it means. It means that God, God, that all mankind have this kind of God's law written on their heart to some degree. And so therefore there's like this universal morality that God gave all humanity and that that's what it's talking about. Yeah. And, and I'm of the, uh, strong conviction that that's not the proper way to read this. The proper way to read this is it's talking about believers who are not Jewish, believers believers from the Gentiles who are doing the Torah. And what Paul is saying is that it's showing the work of the law written on their heart. In other words, what Israel is confronted with, which is exactly what we see in the book of Acts, all Gentiles who are coming to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're coming and saying, do we belong or not? And Paul's like, yes, you belong. And and so what, what what's the explanation? Oh, that how does that fit with Jeremiah 31 or the prophecies of Isaiah? Oh, it means that he's going to gather others. He's, he's gathering Israel, and then he's gathering others with them. And that the proper way to understand this in terms of the Torah is Abrahamic covenant, that I will bless those who bless you, and that in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That means... This is is beyond the boundaries of physical Israel to be what Caleb has mentioned before, like an expanded or what did you call it? Like a enlargement theology. Enlargement Israel, or which is really a good word for the graph, you know, the Romans eleven, the tree that's that's getting new branches that were not fusus. Right. And that's that's that even the fusus is used in Romans eleven to talk about the natural branches versus those that are uh, of the wild. Yeah. I want, I want to, I want to jump in. So the, so the, just let me put a fine point on that. So 
a lot of the English translations take the word phusis and they have it modify the verb do. They do it instinctively, right. things of the law. And what I'm saying is that any translation that uses, that takes phusis to modify the verb do is, is pushing this agenda that all humans have access uh, by by some sort of inner morality of God putting some sort of moral law on the hearts of all mankind. And I think that's against the bulk of the counsel of the scripture. Right. And is it is it from even go, uh, Genesis 6, right? God saw that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Right. Like there, that just means there's no, they, they don't know how to think a good thought. It, there's it, there's no access. And even in Deuteronomy, you know, for those on the one-year Torah cycle, a couple of weeks ago, Moses this is at the end of the 40 years of the Exodus. Moses says, God still has not given you a heart to understand. So this is, so so back to the proper way to read Romans 2, 14 and 15 is that the word instinctively scratch it out or by nature scratch it out. It goes with, if you want to say by nature is fine, but you got, it's not modifying the verb to do. They do it by nature, but it's, they are Gentiles by nature, meaning like, and then it says in the, in the parallel line, that is, they don't have, they don't have the Torah as a people. In other words, the Romans were not given the Torah. The Greeks were not given the Torah as a people. Israel was yeah. given the Torah. And, and Paul, and, but and individuals Paul... from those <clears throat> abandon those pagan or polytheistic, superstitious, whatever's Caesar cults, whatever. And they abandon that and they come and as those wild olive branches are grafted into the, the good olive tree. And, yeah, and that's and, what it's talking about. And Paul, Paul even comes back to it later. He says, what, what benefit then is it to be a Jew? Right? So I want to plug this real quick. My, my father, uh, in his, uh, Romans commentary, this is in volume one, by the way, he does a fantastic job explaining this, uh, for, for anyone who, who would like to see it, you can go, you can purchase his, uh, his, uh, two volume commentary, or you can buy just the, the single volume. Um, he, he looks at the different times that Paul uses this exact same word, phusis, and, uh, which is Romans 2.27, Galatians 2.15, and Ephesians 2.3. So he, he shows how Paul uses this term in every other instance. And this is what he says. He says, there is now a second important consideration for us in this verse. I'm, uh, this is on page, uh, I don't know, 46. He says, this is whether to take the Greek fuse naturally with the clause that precedes it. This is exactly what Rob is talk yes, talking exactly. about. Or with uh, that which follows. The two options would be, and this is where he's going. So this will highlight the two options. And then my father's going to give a paraphrase of what he thinks Paul is actually saying later on in his commentary, which I think is actually very helpful. He says, with the with what precedes, for when, this is how it would read with uh the clause modifying what proceeds for when the Gentiles who do not have the Torah naturally do the things of the Torah, meaning that even though the Gentiles did not have the Torah as part of their natural upbringing or culture, yet having been uh, come to faith in Yeshua, they strive yes. to do the Torah. So that's the way that, that we believe it should be taken. Um, yes. And then he gives the opposite of that with that, which follows is for when the Gentiles who do not have the Torah do naturally the things of the Torah meaning that the Gentiles do the Torah naturally. And this obviously goes against what the rest of Scripture says, that the, that the Gentiles do not. Even the, but, and if you take naturally to mean that, even Jews don't do the Torah naturally. Because there's, because, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? There, there is no one who, unless you're born from above, you're not naturally doing the Torah, you, you, right? You, it's a it's such an important point and and the reason why this is uh pertinent in the messianic jewish worldview is that there are quote messianic jews who teach that this means along the lines that Brittany's translation teaches and they use it to buttress or uphold this 613 versus 7 worldview from the talmud in other words See, there is a natural sons of Noah, right? The son, the B'nai Noah have this kind of law given by God, and Israel has a different law. And and what we have to do is let the sons of Noah be good sons of Noah, and let the Jews be good Jews, and and keep them separate. 
We have to keep them separate. And the way they're kept separate is by the, like Caleb was talking about earlier, like, you know, the covenant obligations that Israel has versus the covenant obligations that the sons of Noah have. And so I've, I've seen this verse, this passage here, used to show evidence that Gentiles don't need the Torah of Moses. Right. They don't need it. There's things they'll do like, you know, it's like, okay, so adultery, <clears throat> sure, that's in the Torah of Moses. Um, and But then the rabbis have a discussion there, like, well, what do we do with when we look at the seven laws of Noah? Or And again, if you read another uh, article by Tim's, uh, Do the Seven, Go to Heaven, shows very clearly that in the earliest rabbinic uh, materials, it's not only just seven. There's different numbers of lists, right? It settles at seven because it's a good number, but there's lists, I think, as many as 14. They, you know, they talk about the different laws. But one of the later rabbinic uh, legal discussions or even philosophical discussions is what's the ramifications of if if the sons of Noah were already told to not commit adultery? how could that be fresh revelation at Sinai? If if they are supposed to set up courts of justice, how can, how can that be fresh revelation at Mount Sinai that Israel has to have courts of justice? And so what they do is they like, man, we have to, we have to find a way to say our laws are different. Even though on the surface level, you could say, okay, laws of Noah, they, they're not supposed to steal. And it says on in Revelation of Sinai, not supposed to steal. Uh, but guess what? Israel is unique. Therefore, we have to have some sort of spin that separates Jewish adultery from sons of Noah adultery. Does that make sense? In other words, we have to heighten the specialness of the Sinai event. But again, I'm getting into the weeds of of the way the, the rabbis are trying to uphold the uniqueness of Israel and insist that the Torah is not for the sons of Noah. Um, and again, the biblical worldview, that, that's what the Talmud says. The biblical worldview, the, the view of the apostles, is doesn't divide the world that way. It divides the world into those who love the God of Israel and worship him and those who do not, you know. Um <laughs> I think that this. Anyway. I, I think that this is. Uh, I think that this is a great segue into our next. Uh, into our next. Well, segment. A segue into our segment. Um, so last week we talked about uh, the unrelated or the unrelatable the re relatable episode that uh, Ali. <laughs> it was Beth, a bit unrelatable. <laughs> yeah, that Ali Beth Stucky did with the guys from Coltish. Now. If you didn't, haven't seen our last show, if you haven't seen that, uh, that's not a problem. I'm going to give you a, a 30 second rundown. Basically, the point here is that she has uh, these two guys on. They want to talk about the Hebrew Roots movement. They do a very fantastic job of giving a 75% of the history of the Hebrew Roots movement. But what they do horribly is then they take other movements like the Messianic movement, like Pronomian Christianity, and they wrap it all up under this, uh, under this uh, title of Hebrew Roots. And so they are just shoving anyone who wants to keep the Torah into, the, into this term Hebrew Roots, which in my mind says that they, uh, they either don't know, which is, that's my, that's my assumption, or I, it's my assumption because I think that it's important that, um, I think it's important that we don't try to put these people down. And so uh, I don't think that they're maliciously attempting to, uh, to discredit, although they are trying to discredit. But ultimately, the point is, is that if they knew that all of these are different movements and they're just doing it intentionally, then what they're really trying to do is sweep under the rug the fact that Torah, the Torah movement is a lot bigger and a lot more, it's gaining so much more steam than what they want to admit. And so what they're trying to do is they're just trying to say, heresy, heresy, heresy. And, um, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way anyway. Um, so anyway, the, the, the point here is that there was a second episode of relatable. Now I doubt that, uh, Ali Beth Stuckey cares enough to watch this show or to do any more research than what they've already done for her show. And I know that the guys at Coltish, uh, really have just, they dismiss anything, which it may work for now. For now they can dismiss it. 
but it won't be long and it's going to be too big. They can't just dismiss, dismiss, dismiss. And their level of uh, biblical exegesis in this area is, um, <laughs> it's honestly, it's shameful. Um, and not that they have intentionally uh, been been weak in, in this, but um, even even in uh, even Ali, at the end of the, this video, she uh, moves. Yeah, to, they don't give her any. Uh, well, at some point, I don't know if this is where you're going, but she makes the point of like, wait a minute, but you know, we're not all Catholic. Like, in other words, <laughs> the, the idea. This is the greatest part about this video is that they don't realize the guys at Cultish don't realize it, but they make a great argument for why you should be keeping Torah. <laughs> they do, she, and she nails them to the wall a couple of times without. Re she's she's trying to like give them like. Oh yeah, but what about this? And she's just nailing them to the wall. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, so let's go here. I'm. Here's the thing. Let me let me just tell you what's going on. There is a conversation that is completely off topic in the chat room. Natty, of course, as he loves to do, has come in and tried to stir the pot. It's clear that he has not th thought this through because what he's getting honest for is the notion that the caller, Brittany, used the term Rosh Hashanah, and we did not, uh, we did not stop her and say, uh, hey, that's, that's a Jewish holiday that has nothing to do with the Bible. And my point is, you don't know what you're talking about. And the reason why is because I agree, the term Rosh Hashanah is not the head of the year is given in Nisan 1. I agree. That's what starts the festival season. And I think it starts the festival season specifically so that uh, we see the, the progression of salvation from uh, the Passover through the rest of the festivals. However, you are neglecting the fact that the slaves go free and that the land reverts when at Yom Teruah. So if you're a slave, I can guarantee you that you're counting the years according to when, when you're going to go free. There's multiple, uh, there's multiple New Year's, according to Judaism. I agree with that. But the point is, is that, uh, and maybe some of them are valid and maybe some of them are not. However, the fact is, is that Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, is, uh, is a biblical thing. And whether or not you want to call it Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah, that's fine. Call it Yom Teruah. But the idea that, that uh, it is not the head of the year, it's the start of the year of Jubilee. So, yeah. I'm going to say you don't know what you're talking about. You have not thought this through. And if you have, then you're just wrong. Okay, let's keep going. So let's jump over to Relatable. I'm going to start right here. This is, um, this is at the beginning of the video. Now, this is, a, this is a long passage from this, but we're going to listen to it anyway. As y'all were explaining the anti- Trinitarian aspects of some of the beliefs of some of the people who adhere to the Hebrew Roots Movement not celebrating Christmas and Easter. I was like, this sounds a lot like Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was just interested if you guys had seen any crossover or if it just kind of happened. You know, once again, I'm going to say, I think that she's on to something here because I think that the Hebrew Roots Movement does have some re like relatable <laughs> tenets towards Jehovah's Witness. However, what they've done is they've just put all of Torah observance under this umbrella of Hebrew roots. And they try to cover their tracks by saying this, oh, well, there's no head figure. There's no statement of faith. I've said that. I think I've said that. Okay. And so fair enough. And they say, so it's really hard to nail anybody down. There's going to be people in the comment section that are going to say, well, I don't believe that. They're absolutely right. You're not going to be able to go. You're not going to be able to get. Um, there's no person who's going to agree with another Hebrew rooter who is a Hebrew rooter. That's all there is to it. But, but, but okay. But doesn't she use the word at some point she talks about Orthodox Christianity mm -hmm. and she uses the term as if there is a, there is something called Orthodox Christianity that everybody who's one of those knows what they are. But I would say, well, there's going to be Orthodox Christians that don't, live a life anything like these people live. When I hear Orthodox Christianity, you know I, mean? I hear Greek I, Orthodox. That's what I think. I think Greek, Greek Orthodox. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, did you see the guy, their side footnote, a monk who recently died at Athos, 
had never seen a woman. And he was like 90, like he lived to almost 100 years old. His mother died when he was born. He was taken in by the monks. He had never seen a woman his whole life. Anyway, these guys, these are the guys that pray like all day long and, and they have, you know, but they, they represent what you would call. As a married Orthodox. man, I'll just say that guy <laughs> was missing out. It's like the people who don't want all of the Torah. <laughs> they they only get. <laughs> well, that's just a side note. In his, if you look at, uh, you could find the article on the, you know, the, the Greek, Greek monk who never saw a woman who died. Okay. Uh, but the idea is this, is that there's, there is what we call Orthodox Christianity. And these, the three people that I look at here don't look yeah. or sound like it at all. But yet not, she yeah. used the term as if she she's a she's part of it or well, she knows what it means. I think that, the, that there are a uh, significant am amount of people in the Protestant movement who and the reform movement who would say we are holding on to Orthodox Christianity. And what they mean by that is exactly sta is standard Orthodox uh, uh, belief. But she identifies with Orthodox Christianity and Protestant ref reformed Protestant. But that's the thing, and and, and those. If you went and talked to an Orthodox Christian, they would think you're you can't be. That's schizophrenia. Yeah, but that's the thing is that when it comes to like Reformed Orthodoxy, I would I would argue that Rob and I fall under that. We Probably. hold to we we hold to the yeah. yeah I mean, when it comes we, to the the bulk of exactly. But anyway, in any event, let's it, get. It let's just take, shows that these terms, and we've seen it with the Hebrew roots, you know. I know people who identify Hebrew roots and they don't identify with the same way of Hebrew roots that I've seen, that, right. you know, in my lot, you know, firsthand. And so these terms, we always know that these terms, they do some, they carry some water for us, but they're not, there are, there are always holes in the way they're used. Um, we have to always go back to, it is written to scripture uh, to get our clear definitions. Go ahead, Caleb. Exactly. That's what, what are kick, we talking about? Let's. What are we talking about? Let's kick, kick back over here. Ben's that this is this is how it goes when you step outside of Orthodox Christianity and step oh, there it into is. some form of legalism. Now it's obviously. Hang on. So, so she pits Orthodox Christianity against legalism. There's but so much to in be that fair statement. to her, though. She does later. I think it's after this to say, "Wait a minute!" But we're not all Catholics. What yeah, happened? Yeah. Why are is, we not Catholics? So this is what we're moving toward. We're moving towards this. But okay. notice that that she equates the Hebrew roots movement, and in some cases, this is absolutely true. In fact, Rob and I have done entire shows on the fact that pe some people say, "If you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not saved. If you don't keep the festivals, you're not saved. If you don't do this, this, if you this, don't say the the, the name, name correctly, God, right, right. You won't hear your prayer." And yeah. so what we have said is, "No, salvation by faith alone." And I think that there is a uh, a growing number and a significant, I think the majority of people in what various movements, all of the Torah movements, okay, and that would include pronomian Christianity, messianic, okay, all of these movements, I would say that as a whole, it is not legalistic. It just as, as Stucky's going to say that she can't cheat on her husband. I would say, okay, yeah, I agree with you. That's not legalistic. And actually, Bonson, who's a who's a Presbyterian, who was a Presbyterian, Bonson has a whole chapter in his book on by this standard. Now, clearly, I disagree with Bonson's uh, view of keeping Torah, but nonetheless, he has a whole chapter in that book on whether or not it's legalism to keep the law of God. And his conclusion is absolutely not. And so, I'm not in bad company here. When when I'm going to say no, this is this is a misrepresentation, even of the Hebrew roots movement, even of the Hebrew roots movement, it is a misrepresentation to say that this is legalistic. Let's keep going. Right, because as you said, there are people who adhere to parts of Hebrew roots who do really love Jesus and they're sincere in what they're trying to do. They might just be misled, whereas Jehovah's Witness is not right. Christianity at all. But it's interesting <clears throat> that there is some crossover there. Yeah, absolutely, because it comes from uh, like what Jerry was saying earlier about the restoration movement. And we see that taking place in the 1800s uh, because there's a belief during that time, uh, during the second quote-unquote Great Awakening, uh, where <clears throat> there was a great apostasy. Essentially, Mormonism holds the belief, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will hold, hold, hold that belief that there was the truth of God and the gospel. Jesus Christ was lost after the apostles 
And then at now in these last days that it is being restored to us. And to hang on just a second. Now he's right on this. Okay. He's right on this history. However, he's attempting to equate once again, all of Torah observance with this. Now he's right when it comes to the Hebrew roots movement, the Hebrew roots movement does come out of, uh, you know, Dodd and, and the church of God seventh day. Dodd rejects the Trinity, right, in the late 30s. This is where Armstrong gets it from. Armstrong rejects the Trinity. Fair. Okay, I'm, I'm with him on all this. But what he's attempting to do now is he's going to now shove all Torah observance in there. Messianic Judaism as a whole, from the very beginning, has rejected such a notion. They have held to the what they're calling Orthodox Christian doctrine of the Trinity, Messianic Judaism has always done that, as has pro-Christian, uh, pro-Nomian Christianity. So to uh, to lump all these uh, groups together, all these movements together, is nonsense, and these theologies together is nonsense. So let's keep going, because he's getting Stucky's going to nail him to the wall here, and she doesn't even realize that she does it. The presuppositions behind those arguments is that the Council of Nicaea was pagan, Constantine uh, paganized Christianity. Things of that nature. A lot of these movements take place on attacking the historic creeds of Christianity that that happened long ago. That there was a truth that was lost, and now it's restored. Okay, let's just pause real quick, because anyone who is Torah observant, no matter what flavor you want to be a part of, anyone who's Torah observant is going to know the next question. Well, certainly, you don't believe in the. Uh, that in transubstantiation, that's part of the creeds, right? Fourth Lateran Council, right? This is this becomes church doctrine, right? Clearly, you don't believe in indulgences. Clearly, you don't believe in. I mean, choose your flavor of Roman Catholicism, right? Are you are you iconoclast or not, right? I mean. There's so many Catholic doctrines that the Protestant Reformation comes along and says, we are going to, we aren't going to, we're not going along with that. Nope, 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 nope. Exactly. And what he wants to say is he's using this term Orthodox Christianity, just like Rob pointed out. No, I'm sorry, man. You know, I said this last, last show, you got to do better. And honestly, this is laziness. Let's keep going. And so... Since they're saying that these things were paganized, then you can logically follow that holidays must be pagan as well. We have we can't trust history, uh, things of that nature. I mean, that's where we yeah. see pretty much every cult coming from the United States of America or cult like movement, shall I say, starts during this period of time during the restoration. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty um, incredible yeah. if you think about it. Sad also, but you can go Mormons, uh, Jehovah's right. Witnesses. Yeah. Uh, the Millerites and the beginning roots of Seventh Day Adventism, uh, all of these things have pre- foundational presuppositions, which is you can't trust history. Uh, the gospel has been lost, and now it's going to be restored. Even Alexander Campbell and the Campbellites in the early Church mm-hmm. of Christ. So, all of it takes place then. And what's interesting as well is Alexander Hyssop's book on the mythologies of. Uh, essentially reconstructed history of holidays also was written around the time of the early uh, to mid 1800s. And that's where we get a lot of this mythological arguments against Halloween and um, Christmas, which have been debunked by, you know, real historians. Okay. I just hang on just sec. Okay. This is interesting. Now what she's ready to go, right? She's ready to go. But here's the thing is that, is that um, I agree with him on a lot of what he said. In fact, we have a... a well, yeah, a, he's just, but he's listing historical things. But the problem is it's not supporting his argument. It, oh, it's it, not, but but here's the thing is that he... Why even is he men- listing these he, things? He even mentions Hislop. Now, we have fought tooth and nail against the Hebrew Roots Movement and the and the reading of Hislop's book, Fossil, uh, uh, which brings about fossilized customs, right? Fossilized customs is 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 based it's on... It's the two his, Babylons or something like yeah, that. Yeah, is based on two Babylons by Hislop. And uh, Andre, who was a student at Torah Resource Institute and worked for Torah Resource for a time, he did an entire lecture series. He went to Scotland yeah, to study this. he did a great job. And he just nails it. He works for it. Software now. He, he did a really great job of that. He just nailed like, it. He went to Scotland. Yeah, he went to Scotland to, to like research. He literally... That's the best kind of research. I, I just admire that so but much. But the, the point is, is that, yeah, we're in good company here. And so if he's if he's trying to put us into the Hebrew roots movement, I'm sorry, man. Once again, now Stucky, 
good on her. She is she is revved and ready to go with this because this she's is like because she's thinking. Well, wait a minute. Wait. Why are the reformers not pay uh, uh, cults then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How come with that reasoning? Why are we not all Catholic? Uh, because with that reasoning, we must. Why aren't we calling the reformers cult leaders? Yeah, and check that's this. a that's a sharp question. Yeah, and not only that, but his response is the res- the response of all Torah observant movements. All every single one of them is going to give the response that the guys from cultish do. Here we go. Thought as you were saying that, I was like, wow, yeah, that's so true. They all kind of share this premise of. We are the we are going to be the ones, the central figure, Joseph Smith or whatever. We are going to be the ones to restore the real gospel. This is not new. This is how it was always supposed to be. Now, that sounds a little bit like the Reformation. Obviously, I am a Reformed Protestant, but I could see how a Catholic friend listening to this would say, well, isn't that kind of what Martin Luther did, which I think boom. we all know our arguments, yeah, but boom. I could see. Someone I like her saying, just because of the just yeah, yeah, because just, of this right here. I, and again, I, this is the only time I've ever even seen the show is these last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, but she but she nails it right. Yeah. And now, but they don't really. They kind of go. Uh, uh, well, we well, don't. They're not ready for Luther, that. Which is just yeah. Well, okay. Here's the thing, and they even say this. They say this multiple times. The Hebrew Roots movement doesn't have a centralized leader, and so you're trying to now uh, look. I, I'm the first to, to, to stand up and, and fight against the Hebrew Roots Movement, okay? I'm, I've, I've done this for years, but we got to give some credit here. The Hebrew Roots Movement, these guys are misclassifying the Hebrew Roots Movement because there is no centralized leader, which they say multiple times. There is no central doctrine, which they say multiple times. And so the, the idea that this is a cult because, they're, because what? They're, they're following after a centralized leader. Now, listen to their response because the response that they give is the exact response that not only the Hebrew Roots Movement is going to give, but that Pronomian Christians and Messianics are going to give too, who are one Torah. What are we going to say? Well, we don't follow the creeds. We don't follow people. Even Luther says this. And the, and the gentleman on the right, I don't know who, I don't know who he is, uh, but uh, the gentleman on the right even says, you know, I don't follow, you know, I haven't read Luther. I haven't read Calvin. It's like, okay, well, you're upholding the doctrines that they put forward, which is fine. But the point is here is that even Luther stands up at the Diet of Worms and says, yes, the councils can err. And this is the doctrine that these gentlemen now believe in. And it's the same doctrine that those who hold to the Torah believe. And, right. we'll, and I'll, we'll highlight this in just a few seconds. So her question is essentially, why, why are we not cults? The three of us on this panel, right. why are we not cults? Because by all descriptions, it sounds an awful lot like, you know, she said, I'm a Protestant reform. <laughs> it sounds like you're describing Protestant, us. <laughs> Hang on, let's listen, to, let's listen to the response. Oh, man. That's kind of similar. No, this is how it was always supposed to be. The real gospel has been lost. The real scripture has been lost. Don't trust these councils. Don't trust the Catholic church. Don't trust some of these church fathers. Martin Luther, I have the real gospel. What well, what would you say to that? That was yeah. just a thought that I had as you were explaining it. Jerry, you want to go first? Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, you My first. authority is not Martin Luther. Yeah. Like that's not that's not Martin Luther's not the standard. Boom. Okay, so Martin Luther's not the standard. If Martin Luther's not the standard, let's go to the Bible. This is a covenant forever throughout all your generations. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Romans 3.31, does faith therefore nullify the law? May it never be. What about Isaiah 56, Zechariah 10, for, uh, 14 rather? What about all of the places in the Torah that say that the Sabbath is a sign forever between God and his people? What about, the, what about uh, Leviticus 11 that says that the kosher laws are forever? If Martin Luther and John Calvin are not your guy, if, the, if they're not your cult leader, and you're just going to go to the Bible, let's be honest, the Bible actually teaches Torah observance. You just, you just nailed yourself to the wall. You just did it yourself. I don't even have to talk about it. Just read the Bible. Did you have any more of the sound clip you wanted to play? Oh, I got, I got two more, but uh, you can go wherever you well, want. In my view, in my opinion, listening to these two uh, cultish uh, podcasters, 
it sounds like a, a one crucial failure of discernment is that the picture repeatedly given in the gospels and in Paul, even citing Isaiah, you know, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far, far from me is, but in vain, they teach, uh, in vain, they worship me teaching as commandments, the traditions of man, right? I'm paraphrasing the, if all we did was read the Bible, we, what emerges is a picture of God's law and then man-made religion that gets built up and sold as if it's God's law. And then people use that to gain reputations for themselves, popularity, wealth, uh, power, whatever. And that's the tree that comes and, and they cut down, right? Matthew 15 or Mark 7 is like, look, you've up, you hold to your tradition and you, you uh, set aside the commandments of God. And Yeshua is bringing them to account for that. In Galatians 1, Paul says, I was ex exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers when he was persecuting the church. He didn't say I was exceedingly observant of the Torah. He says, I was exceedingly zealous for the traditions, even, even being more intense about it than my fellow uh, countrymen. He, he says, man, I was all in. So the difference that we have to come to the to the table with is the difference between the eternal word of God, like you're talking about, Caleb, and the traditions of men, and that those are separate categories. But these, what, what I'm hearing with this podcast is no one's differentiating it that way. They're saying, oh no, there's we have to we have to accept the traditions of men that are in the church. But then she points out, oh well, wait well, a minute, wait. we're not Catholic, right? Well, <laughs> we have to some traditions of men we hold to and other traditions of men um, we don't hold to. And they would probably say, if we have to say there's paganism in the church, it's only in the Catholic stuff that we got rid of already. So these Millerites or the, you know, whatever the, uh, these groups that emerge in the 19th century and beyond their, uh, their accusations of paganism among post-Reformation Christianity is unfounded because all the paganism was done away with the Reformation. But then again, they'll just say, well, Luther's not our standard. And it's just, it, it, but, but that's just it is that here's the thing is that for Protestant reformed believers, and I am one of those, our theology is greatly influenced, whether these guys know it or not. You know, when I took my Augustine course, at Southern, the, the, my prof said, if you live in the United States and you are part of a church, 99% chance that you believe something because of Augustine's teachings. You might not know it, but his his he is so influential on the church that it, it's pretty it's pretty much a guarantee that you believe something because of Augustine's teachings. I would say the same thing about the Protestant Reformed uh, churches in America today. These guys believe things, whether they know it or not. They believe things because of Luther and because of Calvin. Yeah, I yeah. don't. They're not reading a Catholic translation of the Gospels, exactly. or they're not reading a Catholic uh, edition of the Bible. I agree. They're reading uh, probably a sixty-six book Bible. Absolutely. And 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 that's going to. Yeah, we can't have that. That doesn't come through a Protestant source, right? I mean, what? Um, it just seems disingenuous. To, I mean, I understand that they're they're not Lutheran. They're not claiming to be Lutheran. But to just throw Luther under the bus, her point was: Look, Luther. It, you could give other examples. You don't have to talk about Luther. But her point is: There wasn't the Reformation all about saying, "Hey." The church has gone pagan. Right. And remember, Luther started within. No, I got to go to Rome. I just need to explain. They just, this important scriptural foundation of justification by faith. And it seems like that message has gotten lost. And all I need to go is just like teach everybody and show them. And then every, and then we'll all be happy. And he gets, and he sees the relics and the, the penances and all these things. And he's horrified. Um, and of course... It's it's not a situation where a simple explanation of of 
you know, Genesis 15, 6 or whatever, righteousness by faith is going to solve the situation. Right. And so Luther, you know, he's, he's on for his life, right? I mean, he's risking life and limb. And so for someone today who benefited from the Re- Reformation broadly, and even if you don't agree with everything Luther said, to just say, well, he's not our standard. He is a standard. He is a standard. He's he's a he was a person who tr- brought the Bible into a common tongue a, a, at the threat of losing his life. I completely. That's agree. pretty. That's pretty crazy. I completely agree with what you're saying. But let's give credit where credit is due to the cultish guys. These guys are what they're saying is is that look, if Luther says something against the Bible, we're not going to agree with it. And I completely agree with that. That's right. what I, the, I, I agree that's what that. the Torah movement has always said. The church is teaching something that is that it goes against the Bible. That's what we have said. And I will put all of the Torah movement, all of it, what, what, no matter what uh, what labels you want to put onto that extremely broad, multi-movement, multi-theology, uh, you know, facets of this, uh, of, of this, whatever you want to call it, you put the Hebrew roots, messianic, pronomian, whatever, you put them all into that bag. The one common ground that we will all have is that we will say, look, we follow, we, we follow the Bible, and there are times when great men have gotten it wrong. Look, Tertullian was deemed a heretic. Why? Because he went after a cult. He followed somebody out of a cult. Now, they, he probably came back. But the, the, the problem here is that this is, and Natty, I will agree with you on that. Natty in the chat room, some serious double standards here. I completely agree. I think the guys at Cultish, they have not thought this through. Now, I think that Stucky really, she really uh, blindsided them. Like, hey, uh, uh, you're not supposed to ask us that. Well, do you want to try to answer that? Because I'm lost. <laughs> um, I want to, so we're, we're out of time, believe it or not. I thought, I literally thought we'd been talking for 10 minutes. Um, we're out of time, but uh, I want to play one more thing from this. We're going to go a little bit over. Check this out. Let's go back. This is at minute uh, 15.55. 18th century. And usually restorationism, one of the ways they try and the appeal to it as a whole, it's a nice caveat and get around from scores and scores of church history. And one of the primary refutations, too, of the idea that the church would fall away is that this is what Jesus Christ said upon his church. He said, upon this rock, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And- Let's stop right there. This is Catholic doctrine. Right? Yeah. This I is mean, Catholic well, it doctrine. Depends on where, where is he going to go with this? Like, but the, but the point is, is that he says, he says, uh, "You are Peter, and upon this rock." Yeah, what is he talking exactly, about? He's yeah. talking about the gospel message. He's not talking about Peter. He's talking about the gospel itself. Right before that, he talks about the he talks about the gospel the confession. message. Confession, yeah, yeah. The confession. And of so it's yeah. it's not that the that this notion that all of a sudden the church starts when Christ dies. And right, and raises from the dead, and that, now we have this new entity that replaces Israel. This is bad theology. It's wrong, and not only that, but it goes against the Bible. And the, once back, so who's not your authority? Luther's not your authority. Man's not your authority. Go look at what the Bible says about Israel. You don't have a replacement of Israel with the church. The church doesn't all of a sudden become this great entity that now uh, carries all the promises. That you don't find that in the Bible. You find that in your pages of church history, which apparently you're willing to reject for the truth of the Bible, according to what you said back, you know, in the beginning of, of your video. It, double standard for sure. It, the, the last thing that I had clipped was uh, uh, Stucky brings up Ephesians, the Ephesians passage where it talks about breaking down the dividing wall. We, we're not going to go to it now, but uh, there has been so much written on this uh, from a Torah perspective. My father, Tim Hag, has... Yeah, written, back to the articles. Yeah, go back on, to the uh, articles. Source. He has a whole article on this. He has uh, he wrote a, an entire commentary on the book of Ephesians. The uh, We have talked about this ad nauseum. Errors. There's a real good... Uh, accessible book called fellow, fellow heirs yeah there, into that passage we have talked about this time and time and time and time again and the fact is is that the the word dogma which is always man-made rules is used in that passage he is not talking about the torah i'm sorry so anyway uh that's going to do it for us today 
Uh, somebody dared us to send this to uh, the cultish guys. I have no problem sending this to the cultish guys. I have a feeling that they would uh, they would not watch an hour long video. So maybe we'll we'll send them some of the clips. Um, I would. I have no problem talking about these issues with uh, Stucky or with the cultish guys or whatever. The, the cultish guys, um, at, I shouldn't say the cultish guys because I've never interacted with them. Jeff Durbin has uh, sidestepped us time and time again. He, he uh, attempts to uh, look at, at um, certain issues that aren't issues. Like when we said he was from Phoenix and not Tempe and then spent five minutes saying that we were idiots because we didn't know that uh, he was from Tempe, Arizona. Anyway, the point simply is this: there, because their argument is so weak, they, I don't think that they are going to want to have a discussion on this, even a friendly discussion on this, because they don't care enough. They are set in their ways. They're set in their own theology, and they're not gonna they're not gonna listen to any anyone. I don't think. Maybe they will. You know what? The the Holy Spirit does great things. And here's the the saving grace of all this: the Holy Spirit has made such a uh, impact. It doesn't matter if you uh, think that the uh, an impact on our theology today. It doesn't matter if you think that the Hebrew Roots movement, as I do, is uh, out to lunch on so many th uh, core theological issues. The fact is, is that Torah observance is becoming a a uh, strong theology among true believers in the church and in uh, sub movements like the Messianic movement, the Hebrew Roots movement. One Torah theology, one law theology is becoming such a, uh, a strong force that, uh, you know what? Yeah. La lazy straw man arguments are, are not going to work. Cut it. Yep. Um, but you know what? The whole, the, the point simply is that the Holy spirit has, has influenced enough people to, uh, follow after his law that, uh, it wouldn't surprise me even if the guys from cultish and, and, uh, other programs like that, uh, did come to the truth of God's word. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back next week. We got another, we got a barn burner next week as well because uh, we have a, a very interesting question uh, about John 20. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at that. Uh, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. <laughs>